So turn with me, we're going to read two uh, passages from Matthew in reverse order for some reason, but that's just how it's going to be. Matthew 13, if you go there with me, uh, verse 53, Matthew 13. I want to talk this morning again about honor. I want to talk about honor that releases revival. And in fact, I'm tempted to call the talk Honor the Key to Revival. Many years ago, someone released a book called Prayer the Key to Revival. Uh, I'm begging to slightly differ, and you'll see see why as, as we go through. So, Matthew 13. Verse 53, just just read it with me, I'm in ESV. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not, (coughs) is not this the carpenter's son? Is is not his mother called Mary? And are not all his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense. I want you to note that word. They took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Just note that word. There's offense without honor, unbelief. And turn with me, Matthew 8, verse 5. Different kind of a story. Matthew 8, verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I will tell you, <coughs> I tell you, with one, no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Good message, eh? And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Amazing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to one day of a four-day conference, I think, with Randy Clark and Leif Hetland in Edinburgh. And they did a, a Kingdom Life and Impartation Healing Conference in Edinburgh. And uh, I managed to go for a whole day on the Friday, and I knew a lot about something about Randy Clark, and I knew that he had been like the spark plug, the, the man that had laid hands on people back in 1994, January 1994 in Toronto, that had been the kind of spark that had started the thing that became known as the Toronto Blessing and spread around the world, etc., etc. 
Uh, so I knew he kind of carried something significant, and, and I knew he was the guy that had prayed over Heidi Baker, who'd had that amazing encounter for a whole week, was just helpless in the Holy Spirit, literally had no movement from her neck down, I had to be carried, fed, she was so under the influence of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> uh, but to that point, her and her husband had planted four churches in 17 years. Since that point, they've planted 10,000 churches. So that makes you kind of interested. So I wanted to hear this guy, and then there was chance for impartation. So I went up and he laid hands on, you know, hundreds of us going past, and he laid hands on me, and I went back in the queue, and I was going again. And I think for the been a third time, I would have gone a third time. And those of you who know me, when I get prayed for for the Holy Spirit, the kind of usual happened, um, which I know makes some of you laugh, and that's okay. I'm just enjoying him, and if I can't stand up, I'll fall over. That's okay. Uh, and I came out of it, and I was excited, but I didn't really feel a significant shift had happened in me. I uh, certainly hadn't had a Heidi Baker experience. Uh, it's probably a good thing. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but he was announcing various products and books that he'd, he, he was, they were selling at the back. And he waved one book in the air. And this doesn't happen to me very often. In the inside, it was like, get that book and read it. It was literally as strong as that. So I obeyed and went and paid in dollars in Edinburgh for a book. But... Um, Nick tried to buy some books, and the, his card was refused because, like, minutes earlier, he'd just bought lunch, you know, in pounds sterling in a cafe in Edinburgh, and then minutes later, he was trying to buy dollars through some website, I guess, and they kind of totally closed his credit card down because they thought someone had cloned it and taken it to the States. It's very confusing paying for dollars in, in... Anyway, so I start reading this book. And, and I recommended it last week. It says, there is more. If you haven't got it and haven't read it, as they say, sell your granny and buy it because it's just great. <laughs> Apologies to all grannies in the room. I, I just realized I'm married to one and I'm not selling her. <laughs> sell your bed and buy the book. That's a better phrase. <laughs> and in this book, it's a mixture of the history of revival in the church, theology, and the, the recent history of the move of God that's happening around the world. And in it is lots of stories, like Heidi Baker's, of people who got an impartation through a prayer like I just had and went on to see thousands healed, thousands saved, thousands of churches planted. And the stories just go on. It's not like one person. It's like on and on and on and on and on. And I'm reading this, and inside of me is something is going on. And I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, well, he's prayed for me. And, and like, there were stories like people would get prayed for, not much would happen, then they'd go back to their church, and instantly the level of healing they would see would go from nothing to, like, massive. Or he visited uh, Bethel Church that we know about, and he visited there, and their level of healing went up 25% and stayed there ever since. And I was thinking... Nothing's happened to me. So I get this book, I read the whole book, and I'm literally, I'm on my knees, and I'm clinging to this book. And I start to pray, and I'm saying, God, that guy laid hands on me. And I want it. I want what's in this book. And, I, and, and he said to me, he said, well, 
the only issue really is you didn't expect that you could get through him what the others got. You kind of, you've, you kind of have a, spectac- a spectactation, <laughs> which you probably need to go to the doctors with if you've got one, all right? <laughs> you have an expectation level of what you can now receive through people, and that's, you know, it's better than it was, but actually I was, I, I'm, I, I'm not that bothered how it feels like, but I want to go and blow more doors off for Jesus. Um, and so this whole sense of both... Was I worthy to get it, and was I lifting up my honor to him to receive it? started to kind of stir in my soul, and I've had some amazing encounters with God. You don't have to do this. This is what I was doing. I was just grabbing the book and pressing it into my chest and crying out to heaven that what I was hearing, and this guy laid hands on me twice. And then I thought, man, Bill Johnson's laid hand on me twice, so I've got his book as well, and I'm holding on to that. I want to see what they see. This stuff is transferable. It is. People who did nothing suddenly started to do amazing stuff. And then to rub it in further, this last week at FSS, a, 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 a great lady called Halcyon who comes and visits at, on FSS sometimes, and she's from Bishop Riggs. Community Church, and she was at this conference, and she stands up in FSS and starts giving testimony after testimony, it must have been four of them, of people she's prayed for since the conference, and they're all getting healed, and I'm like, so we had impartation at the end, I went up to her and said, you pray for me, I want what you got. I, I would, why couldn't my level go up as much, same amount as her level? Do, do, you see, do you see what I mean? I'm hungry. And I started to realize I needed to connect better. We just read two passages which tell you this, how much I release honor to people who carry his anointing directly affects what I receive from them. How much I release honor to people who carry his anointing directly affects how much I receive from them. So here's the centurion who's an outsider, not, not a Jew, not from the hometown, and he looks at Jesus and he pulls something in for his, his, uh, his, his servant that doesn't even require Jesus to take the journey to heal him. He just speaks the word and that moment he's healed. He goes to his hometown and it says that they took offense Jesus interprets that as dishonor and tells a little tale and it's expanded in other, other parallel accounts. And he doesn't do much, he only heals a few. Where in other places, there's outbreak, there's, there's profound miracles. The other thing we see is when you get and I get offended, that creates dishonor and the fruit of that is unbelief. So offense creates an atmosphere of dishonor, which leads to an atmosphere of unbelief. Jesus said he didn't do much, or it says in the text, he didn't do much there because of their unbelief, but what he'd referred to was their lack of honor. So there's a direct link between honor and faith. Who would like more faith in their life? Come on, we all would, wouldn't we? But Jesus directly links offense honor and faith 
in that story. So he's saying, you want more faith, have more honor. If you want more faith, get less offended and be more honoring. If you want to see more breakthrough, get rid of offendedness in your life, replace it with honor and faith will flourish. They show us that it's possible to see and value someone's clout in the spirit realm and that releases the ability they carry to you and those you love regardless of distance. It's a puzzling passage when the centurion says, what's he talking about? He goes up to Jesus and he says, basically, I want you to heal my servant. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Heal him. The centurion says, you don't need to come. A, I'm unworthy. And also, I get you, Jesus. I, I, I get what you're on. I get how this functions. And I, get, I can't imagine how Jesus looks, but he'd be going, say what? He says, well, I, I too am a man under authority. I have servants under me. If I say go, they go. If I say come, they come. And, and I see that all over you. Well, Jesus doesn't, isn't a centurion. He doesn't have servants. In the natural. Yeah? In fact, he says to disciples, I don't call you servants now. I call you friends. Yeah? He's not saying come, go, get the sandwiches. He's not treating them in that way. He's observing, and, and anyway, the guy isn't on about that. He's on about, some, he's on about Jesus. I see something about you that means you don't even have to make a journey to heal my servant. And what I see about you is related to how you exercise authority in the unseen. So he's got that Jesus is carrying clout in the unseen realm and actually to make things work there, you just need to speak with authority and stuff happens whether you're near or far. That's flipping amazing. He saw something, he honored it, and the fruit of it was bang. And Jesus marvels at this guy's faith. He's absolutely taken aback by the faith that this guy has, that this centurion has. So you've got a contrast. He's marveling at one lot's unbelief and marveling at another person's faith. What's the difference? One sees and honors and the other doesn't. In fact, he releases so much honor to Jesus that distance becomes irrelevant. Because <laughs> he's understood. So he's, seen, he's not seen the way Jesus operates with his disciples. He's seen how Jesus operates in the spirit realm. He's honoring the authority he carries now, people, it doesn't tell you what's happening. It doesn't tell you whether his word casts out a demon or his word dispatches an angel. I don't know. But in the unseen realm, his word shifted something very significant. Distance didn't matter, and healing came that hour. Bang. That's how Jesus operated. And this guy saw it, honored it, received from it, released his faith because of it, and we have a result. How exciting is that? It's possible. It's possible to honor something in a meeting like this, in something that someone's carrying, and release that blessing and favor and healing to someone who isn't here. 
So it's possible to not be in a meeting and still get the benefit of a meeting. That isn't an encouragement to not come. Because <laughs> that's dishonoring. But it is an encouragement as we grow in our faith and our honor, actually what we start to release has no geographic boundaries to it. It's spirit realm realities we're tapping into. They're not earthly things. So the one guy seeing into the spirit, all the people around in Jesus' hometown, all they can talk about is, well, we know his brothers and we know his mom and dad and we know that he used to get splinters in his finger. Or they're just looking earth. This is what we know. We know, and they're defining him by earth. They're not seeing into heaven. And you say, well, it's so hard to see into heaven. Well, this was a this was a Gentile who was honoring Jesus. The people who ought to have been honoring him didn't, and the ones that weren't called to did. So it's not like, well, I need to get super spiritual to be able to do this. No, you just need to have. We just need to keep changing our inner attitude. Because if you're born again, you're born to honor. You're born to believe. You're born to do miracles. You're born to receive incredible things from heaven. That's who you're born to be. And inside you, rising up all the time is a desire to break off restrictions and constraints and break through into a place of greater freedom, greater faith, and be able to release more miracles, more freedom, more healing, more salvation to people around you. If you're born again, that's inside you all day, every day of your life. It may not always come out, but the yearning, the desire, the call, the thirst is deep down inside of you. Our challenge sometimes is to get the stuff out of the well so that the spring can spring up, to mix my metaphors, but you know what I'm talking about. So there's these contrasts in these stories. The crowd's preoccupied with seeing Jesus through natural eyes. They knew him, and they're trying to find an explanation. They're like, how did he get all this miraculous stuff? Where did he get this wisdom? We know his brothers and sisters, and they're not like that. (laughs) And he was born from the same parents, uh, apparently. (laughs) You know, there's a few secrets they weren't party to. So how how you know? Here's them. We've got all his brothers by name and his sisters, and they none of them do this. How did you get you know? And they were offended at him. The centurion saw that he carried something, he carried clout in the spirit realm. I believe in the UK that honor is the key to revival. I actually, I've grown and grown in my conviction. I believe God sent us revival more than once in answer to lots and lots of prayer. I've been around long enough to know how many prayer movements has been, how many people have prayed and fasted 40 days, how many people have cried out to God, how many huge prayer meetings, on and on and on and on. And God releases his favor on this nation over and over and over again. People get blasted, whacked, people get healed, stuff starts to break out. The thing that stops it and means it doesn't gain momentum is this issue. So yes, let's keep praying. Yes, let's cry out to God for more. But if we can't honor what he sends and who he sends it through, then it will end quickly. 
because we're really good and we have been really good at taking offense. So if you get offended at a person, you kind of take an internal step back, don't you? Do you know that? So that you get offended. There are moments in conversations where you get offended and, it, and it's like the dust balls start to blow through, isn't it? It's that kind of... <laughs> happens in my... At home, in my marriage, you know, at times where you just say something to your wife, which I do, believe me. And, and it just goes, ouch! And, so, and then it's almost like nothing can be said. There's that, that distance has come in and the, the wind's blowing and a dust ball moment. Yeah. You know, like on the Westerns. We were just having a great relationship. We were really together. We were connected and suddenly a fence yeah? I'm sure no, none of you have those kind of things happen. You see, offense creates distance. What we need to see in this, offense is the opposite of honor. It's the 180 degree thing. It's, the, it's in, it's in um, opposition to. It's the enemy of honor. And it creates distance between you and God, and you, so if you're offended at God, it's like, hi Lord, you did, I had a, a bit of this this week, it's like, well I know you're there, and I have amazing times with you, but not today. <laughs> I'm not that thrilled about how things are going, so you know, I'll read my Bible, but deep intimate contact, forget it. I'm just, just telling you how it is, I'm sure again no one else relates to the Heavenly Father like that. But offense breeds distance, honor makes connection. It's about valuing. We've talked about this before, but honor is fundamentally, if you look up the definition, it's about value. I value you. I value you. I value you. I'm not switching off my value. I'm not switching off my appreciation. I'm not switching off my love to you. I value you. I honor you. Offense is about not valuing. It's about discrediting, undermining, questioning, criticizing. That creates offense. And some, I, I think I know there's been times when I've carried that kind of critical spirit in me and I've not known it. So I'm always, even as a leader, quick to undermine what I hear about other leaders. But I'll do it nicely. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't call it an offense, but you know, their doctrine's a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Go look at my doctrine, then you'd really be excited. Uh, (laughs) So, taking offense means you've ceased to value that person and/or what they have. And somehow. You have discredited them or you go about discrediting them. You are undermining them. And I think we need to see the difference between having questions and being questioning. One's healthy, the other is undermining. It's all about attitude, all right? So questions are, I want to understand. They assume that there's a desire to learn and receive. So you can ask a question that is, I really want to know because I want 
more, and I don't understand, but I want to press in. That's questions. Questioning is to uncover, discredit, and undermine. It's coming from a different place, although it can sound the same. It's good to be asked questions, but to be questioning is a dishonoring attitude. It's not from a place that values the person that may have something to give you that God wants to give you and you're not going to get it any other way until you switch your honor on to them. Because that's how body works. You think, well, I'm great with Jesus. Well, you're not going to go very far if you're only great with Jesus. He's actually designed the body so that you and I get some stuff direct and other stuff we need other people for. And we'll never get the other stuff, no matter how much we press into him, He's only ever going to send it through other people. He's created dependency in the body of Christ. It's just the same as your body works. You know, it doesn't matter how much intelligence my forearm seeks after, it will never be a brain. (laughs) And it would be quite awkward, isn't it? If I had this bulging brain on my arm, it would be a bit awkward anyway. It's not how it works. My forearm needs my hand. No matter how hard it works to grow fingers, it never will. Do you see what I mean? The dependency is built in to the body of Christ. I need you and you need me. And until we honor and connect, we will be missing something in our life together that heaven will not deliver direct to your door. Nazareth valued Jesus as the son of a carpenter, they couldn't see past his past. So the the challenge for me, I think, is really it's about valuing. Therefore, it's about what are your values. Let me give you a crazy example. You could be in prison as a thief, talking to another criminal, and you could really celebrate the, the amazing scam they pulled. And kind of honor the criminality, the criminality, what an amazing criminal mind you have. Yeah? You're expressing, because you're a criminal, you value criminality, you'd like to be a better one, you start to heap praise maybe, Cautiously, because some criminals are not all that reliable. Obviously, there wouldn't be criminals. But because you value criminality and you find someone who's an expert, you honor them and you maybe ask questions so that when you get out, you can pull off a better heist. Yeah? Is that a good thing to honor? But because it's a value, you value criminality, you pull on it. Hello? So you pull on what you value. And when you become a Christian, your value systems shift. That's why it can feel so awkward in the world. And God is continuing to shift our value system to heaven's values out of earth's values. So if we want more of heaven on earth, we need to value more of what heaven is. And it doesn't look like a lot of earth looks like. And it often doesn't look like a lot of the attitudes that I carry. So God is constantly renewing me to move my values from earthly values 
to heavenly ones so that my values resonate with his values so that when he does something, I value it. Am I making sense? Somehow the centurion saw the spiritual reality that Jesus was carrying. He valued it and it released him. All the people at Nazareth could do was just see, you know, parents and brothers and sisters. They only valued him as earthly and they couldn't value the heavenly thing that he now carried and it switched it off. So in church over the centuries, we valued the role of the teacher and teaching. And along must we continue to do that. But we've honored it as the senior gift and the culture-shaping reality. The church has a long, and I've just read several books on church history regarding things of the Spirit. We have a long and tragic history of dishonor towards things of the Holy Spirit, power, miracles, etc. That's our, as Christians now, in this age, in this century, we are receiving a momentum from what was behind us. And some of it is amazing. So we have some great, great teachers behind us. Some great teachers in this present day that we, we receive from, that we honor and we bless. But you know what? If you look behind you at the history of the church and the way it manages people who are anointed by the Spirit and do miracles, it's not pretty. So we are, as a church, undergoing a value system shift in order to line up with heaven's values so that we can honor what heaven releases. And then we can continue to see it released because we're agreeing with him rather than our history. We'll get there. By definition, apostolic Christianity is supernatural signs and wonders Christianity. Jesus said to the apostles, wait till you get better doctrine. No, he didn't. The doctrine of the Trinity that we're going to be talking about uh, in the summer, some of the stuff that is going to be taught there was not finally sorted out till about 3rd century, Alan? Thanks. By that time, Christianity had spread like wildfire around the Roman world. They weren't told by Jesus to wait for better teachers, better doctrine, and get it. You can tell from Acts 1 that their doctrine, they didn't understand. So when will you restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus is going, oh, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. How many times have I told you this? But wait for a good idea for evangelism, and then go and tell the world. No. Wait for dunamis. They knew what that meant. They knew it meant power. They had to wait for power, and they figured it would look powerful when it came. The church has been suspicious of power, even by the end of the first century, letters were being written by bishops to exclude tongue-speaking Christians from the Corinthian church. There are actually letters that you can read, written by bishops, that were actually, they were chucking, remember Corinthians, it's all about speaking in tongues is the highest thing you can do. Within 20 to 30 years of the writing of Paul's letter, they're being chucked out for speaking in tongues. 
When the Pentecostal thing happened in 1906 in Azusa Street, which was the beginning of the Pentecostal revival, not long after it, publicly, Bible teachers recognized around the world at the time, said this, that the Pentecostals are the last vomit of Satan. Talk about dishonor. The Pentecostal charismatic movement around the world, in it will be going a, 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 a hundred years just gone is now the biggest part of Christianity. It has eclipsed the size of all the other Protestant denominations and groups put together. And it's been going 100 years. The Reformation, by the time we get to 2017, will be 500 years ago. So in 100 years, Pentecostalism has grown bigger than the rest of Protestantism put together and what that's done in 500 years. It's all to do with power. But those that dishonor the power miss the power. Are, 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 we, are we tracking? Are we? So valuing signs and wonders as a sign of the coming of the kingdom is fundamental core to who we are. And valuing people that do it has to be absolutely at our heart. We can't have a problem with supernatural. Jesus was fundamentally supernatural. It's not a Bible word, but it sums up in our vernacular, this day and age, it tells you what he was. He was a supernatural person. He did the supernatural. He ate, drank, and slept the supernatural. He heard things from heaven. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He brought prophecy. He had words of knowledge. All of that is in his life. He was a supernatural being, and you're called to be like him equals you and I are called to be supernatural. It's not a thing on the side. Wouldn't it be nice if we had? Yeah? It, it, it's, not a, it's not a side order in the restaurant. Well, you know, we have the meat and potatoes of teaching. And if you'd like some supernatural salad on the side, then you can order that if you want. But actually, you can live very well without it. Ah, oh, No. For the last 15 to 20 years, there's been a big movement in Christianity towards making Christianity and church relevant. So is the, meet, is, the, is the preaching relevant? Is the service relevant? Are we connecting to where people are at now in the 21st century? Are we, are we relevant? Yeah? And, and lots of church websites, if you click on them, you will get this phrase or similar to, and there will be a relevant teaching from the Bible. Why are we so struggling to be relevant? Because we don't have enough of the thing that makes us relevant. I would like to propose that healing the sick, whether it's 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years hence, will always be relevant. I'd like to propose that breaking off demonic power from people is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. We may have different words for the problems it creates, but it's still real and people are never going to get free no matter how much Prozac they take until someone comes in Jesus' name and breaks that demon off their brain. It was relevant then, it's relevant now, and it'll be relevant tomorrow. Suddenly, signs and wonders make the church relevant. 
Wouldn't it be incredibly relevant to empty a few, to empty a few hospital wards? I saw something in, in the Scottish Daily Mail about a year ago that apparently it's costing the Scottish uh, Health Service something like, I can't remember if it's six or 26 million, but millions, just back trouble in Scotland. If we healed all the back trouble in Scotland, we would save an absolute fortune for the health service. That's relevant. Somebody would take notice. Blind eyes started to see is incredibly relevant for blind people. Deaf ears opening is the most relevant thing you could ever do for a deaf person. Explaining the gospel with flashy lights is not very relevant for someone who is blind. (laughs) Multimedia presentations do not impress the deaf and the blind. Getting them healed does. It's the most relevant thing. Wait for power. Value power from heaven. Well, I don't like it. Well, you need to change. (laughs) He's never going to change. This is the plan. Plan A is the plan. So you see what I'm saying? What you value affects what you honor. What you honor affects what you release from other people to you. If you think that people who do signs and wonders are a bit wacky, then that's what you're going to release to you. If you think that signs and wonders is the most precious thing that we could have in the church today, then you will gravitate to anybody who sees and hears more than you do because you're going to want more. Because you value it. Yeah? You're driven by what you value and what you can only honor what you truly value because honor is giving value to someone who has what you have, what you value. So in the church, we celebrate, we lift up the most prominent people of the last century in the church have been Bible teachers because we value it, and so we should. But come on, let's value the people that raise the dead, heal the sick, rather than going, I'm not sure about their doctrine. Jesus wasn't bothered about their doctrine. It took them 300 years to figure out the Trinity, but in between then... And when they started, they saw a lot of people saved, a lot of people healed, and a lot of people raised from the dead. Right? So I'm not saying doctrine isn't important. What I am saying is, if you use that as your marker, you can start to devalue the thing, the thing God wants to give you. So what would happen if a black, divorced American woman with a strong southern accent stood in the front here, but there were signs and wonders anointing all over her? then you find out what we really value. Am I more offended that she's black, she's American, and she's divorced, or am I more valuing the anointing she's carrying and pulling out of her? I'm pushing the point, but I'm trying to land something in our hearts. We need to value the anointing that people carry, not be overwhelmed by all their history, which is exactly what happened in Nazareth. Well, you're just from around here. You're just a local boy. We know your brothers and sisters offended. 
We have people in this church who see healings, who see in the spirit realm. Do you value them? And do they know it? Do you want what they have? Or, or is there something inside me and you that's just a bit suspicious still? Because if we want more, we need to value the right thing. I want to encourage you, rub up alongside someone like Jan McFarlane. She is the genuine article. She experiences God pretty much every day in a very tangible way. And she will pray for the sick in any time, any place, anyhow. She has and she will and she sees results. If you'd like more of that in your life, why don't you kind of get closer to her? Have her in your small group. Have her around for dinner. Get her to pray for you. Even the act of starting to honor someone and what they carry will start to release what they have to you. Even You don't even have to be in their proximity. Oh, I'd love to move in signs and wonders, but I don't like the way she does it. <laughs> Do you know what? It's never going to happen. Because it's never going to come the way you want it. I struggled with being the twitches and the wobbles and the, you know what, I don't care anymore. Wobble, twitch me all you like, as long as you come. You know, if, if I need to look an idiot for God to come and do his thing, that's absolutely fine. I can't put it on, honestly. I wouldn't want to. Who'd want to look like me? <laughs> do, do, do you, am I making sense here? Who do you value? What do you value? We want to value Alan and his teaching gift. That's why we're lifting it up. We want teaching and doctrine in this church. But we want to lift up other people. We want to lift up the people that are seeing this stuff. I want to lift up Mark who carries an anointing to oversee our worship band. This is happening because of something he carries. He sees stuff in the spirit. He's a prophet in our midst. If you kind of start honoring him, you start to get more out of it. You are. All right, I'm going to finish. How do you give it? Well, number one we've talked about really is it's just a heart thing. Start to value what God values and the people he chooses to use and the way he chooses to use them. Second is give people praise and encouragement. Nowhere in the Bible are you told to keep other people humble. Nowhere. I've searched extensively. It is not your job to keep me humble or my job to keep you humble. Hallelujah. The responsibility for humility lies with the Heavenly Father and with the person. End of. We're encouraged to humble ourselves. And from time to time, there are scriptures that talk about how he humbles. But it's not in your hands. You're not in control of someone else's attitude. And you should not see yourself as the humility police. It's not, not your assignment. It's not my assignment. It's actually illegal to become the one that polices someone else's humility. What I'm told to do is release encouragement to people. There's plenty of that in the Bible. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. See the good and call it out. Tell them how great they are. Tell them what they're doing is fantastic. See, like the centurion, see who they are in the Spirit and speak it in and speak it in again until they start to live the reality of what God's called them to be. That's what we're all called to do is make one another look flipping amazing. 
Romans 12, the only competition allowed in the church, Romans 12, 10, is outdoing one another in honor. I don't want competition in the church except that one. Who of us is the most honoring of other people? That's the only race that we're allowed to, to have a competition in. Isn't that great? I'm trying to think now, how many more people can I honor before the end of the message? I want to win. <laughs> Allow yourself to be led and influenced by those who carry presence, anointing, gifting, and healing gifting. Add your strengths to theirs, and soon you'll be seeing what they're seeing. I'm going to say that again, because I thought that was a better point. Allow yourself to be led and influenced by those who carry presence, anointing, gifting, and healing. Add your strength to theirs, and soon you'll be seeing what they're seeing. Allow yourself to be led and influenced by those who carry His presence, His anointing, gifting from heaven, healing and miracles. Allow yourself to be led and influenced by such people. Add your strength to what they're doing. Right? So you get stuck in and you're supportive. And pretty soon you'll be doing what they're doing. You'll be seeing what they're seeing, saying what they're saying and doing what they're doing. So, it means turning up, supporting, functioning in your thing for the benefit of others. Oh dear. So I'm happy you finished. Shall we stand and... Uh, I just want to underscore something. This is not a trick. This is not creating plastic, smiley. This involves us engaging a positive attitude to one another and deliberately seeking to find the good things God's put in other people and calling them out. It involves us zeroing in on God's values. Right? This is a deep heart issue, not a superficial thing at all. So, Father, we thank you. We welcome your presence once again. Uh, we love what you're doing. What a precious thing you're doing with us as a church. We want to value what you value. We want to treasure the gifts that you give. Uh, and Lord, help us to be authentic and real and not plastic in this. Help us to break out of our culture, which is cynical and undermining and critical, and start to live like heaven, which is affirming, celebratory, and honoring. So Father, I pray again for a release of love in this room. I pray that no one would be living as a pauper in their heart. No one would think that criticism is a, is a weapon of Christian choice. Come Holy Spirit. 